Hey, good evening, everybody. How's it going tonight? Woo. We got woo going. I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. Good day today. Did you guys have a good day today? Yeah, no complaining with a day like that, right? All right. Would you like to sit down through the talk? Okay, your choice. Just to let you guys know, they're in the front. Everyone's sitting down already, so, you know. All right. Thanks for coming. You guys encourage me when you're here, and I hope you're encouraged by being here. I hope the things that we give to you and uh, walk you through are things that shape your life and shape your spirit for Christ's sake. So, again, thanks for being here today. Uh, you know, I don't know if this stops for us at some place in our life, but I keep learning things about myself. And uh, sometimes the things I learn about myself are okay, you know, good things. But it seems like most of the things that were good things I already learned about myself. And the stuff that I keep learning is not, the, you know, always the greatest stuff. I don't know. One of the things I've learned about myself over the last several years is I'm a rule keeper. You know, anybody a rule keeper? You just, you just like to follow the rules and you like to do it right. You know, and so that's kind of how I'm in my life. I, I just like to do it right. So, you know, when Christmas rolls around and the kids all go to bed and you've got toys to put together late at night, you know, the, you know that drill? Most of those toys, you know, you could look at most of them and just go, well, it, it goes like this. And you sort of put it together. And a lot of you guys are so smart. You just look at it, boom, you put it together. I always pull out that big piece of paper called instructions. Because they're like rules to me. It's like you're supposed to follow those. So I get the whole thing out and I, and I follow all those rules right down to the letter, you know, it's just who I am. I know it's a little weird and stuff, but that's just who I am. So that's kind of how I do that. When, my, when, my, when I was growing up, my dad gave me his rules. He said, one of the rules of the house is when you get tools out of the garage, when you get done, you put them back. I'm like, yes, sir. And he goes, you don't, you don't start a new project until you put those tools back. I'm like, okay, I got that. I'm a rule keeper. So I will put them back. And even today in my own garage, I got my own rules, and it's the same rules. Like, okay, you get some tools out, you do the project, and then when you get done, you put them back. That's just how it works. Um, I'm a rule keeper, and, uh, and I'm sort of a, kind of a kind of fanatic about that, you know. Like, I really want it to be done right, and I sort of take pride in keeping those rules and, and sort of doing it right. I make tea the right way. Did you know there's a right way to do tea and, and a not right? Did you know that? Yeah, do you, black tea, 212 degrees. Green tea, 175 I know, I, you didn't know, I, that's the right way to do it. You go to a tea shop, they're supposed to know about tea, they boil all the water, burn your tea. <sighs> well, the problem, some of you think I'm a little bit obsessive, compulsive, yeah. Well, the bad part, the worst part about it, I get good tea, but you know, the the bad part about it is I become a judger. You don't have to raise your hands, but any judgers among us? Yeah, you can nod your head. You can do it. Other, yeah, you can hold your wife's neck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't let them raise their hand right now. Yeah. So you just, that's the problem with someone who likes to follow the rules is we end, up, we end up judging people that don't follow the rules the right way. They don't do it like they're supposed to do it. And so I sort of expect people to do it right. And when they don't do it right, I don't like that. So I really don't like it when people speed. You know, on the highway, the freeway out there, I, I really just don't like it when people speed faster than I do. <laughs> Here's one problem with being a rule keeper is you end up being a hypocrite because you make your own rules up. I really don't like it when other people are gluttonous, which means they overeat more than me. 
I don't like it when people are greedy, which means they love money more than me. And, that, and that's kind of the weird part is because I'm a rule keeper and I like these rules, but I like to keep my own rules. And I'm not necessarily keeping God's rules. God doesn't care if I use the directions on a Christmas gift or not. They're my own rules. And I end up judging you based on my rules, which is pretty much the definition of a legalist. I don't really like being a legalist. But when you consider what the definition is and how that gets played out, kind of, kind of looks like me. I don't like it when other people receive life-giving grace when they haven't repented yet. They haven't said they're sorry. It just seems to me if you're going to mess it up and then you're going to come back and you expect someone to give you forgiveness and mercy and grace and all, it's like you ought to say you're sorry first. Then I'll think about it. That's just sort of how it goes for me sometimes in my own soul. And some of you are like that. Now, some of you are not like that. Some of you are not judgers. Some of us, some of us in the room, when Jesus said, do not judge lest you be judged yourselves, we think Jesus had our picture on the wall when he was saying that. And some of you are not like that. Some of you are these amazing grace givers. You just give grace. You just, you you give mercy. And I don't know what what it is about you. I don't know how you got that gift, but you just give mercy to others. You just give grace to others. And maybe it's because you get how much you need it, or maybe you're just wired this way or something. But a lot of you, you're just these amazing grace givers. It doesn't come that naturally to me. I'm trying to learn this deal. You know, because I know that God is an amazing grace giver. God pours out his life-giving grace on us, on every single one of us, on the rule keepers and the rule breakers and everybody in between. He pours out life-giving grace on us. And to me, that's what makes Jesus so amazing. I want you to hear a story about Jesus today. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And so if you want to look it up, you can do that. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the chair near you. You can use that one. You can have that one. You know, if you want to look this up on your smartphone or your iPad or something, that's all fine. But we're doing Luke, chapter 19, first 10 verses today. And we're going to start right there in verse 1. Ready? All right. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
Now, if you've been hanging around church very much, or if you've been reading through the Bible a little bit, you've probably come across this story. So for some of you, that's a familiar story. It's, it's familiar if, just, if you've just been at Lakeside, because it's one of my favorite stories, probably mostly because I found a guy in the Bible with whom I can see eye to eye. Yeah. Sort of appreciate that about Zacchaeus, one of my favorite characters in the Bible, which is interesting because no one else liked him. See, Zacchaeus was, he was the chief tax collector. He was in charge of the, of the branch office of the IRS in the Jericho region. And everyone hated him. Everyone hated the tax collectors. Not much has changed today. I mean, the IRS gives you a call and they say, we're going to come do an audit. And then they get done with that and they go, you owe us more money. How are you feeling about those guys? You, you can say it, I'll wait. I mean, not happy. You're not happy with those guys, right? And some of you probably work at the Franchise Tax Board. God bless you. You do a hard job. We're not mad at you tonight. We're not really talking about you directly, okay? But they hated tax collectors. They just hated them. And here's the problem with Zacchaeus. He is the chief tax collector. Now, the reason they hated them was because the tax collectors were sort of in bed with the Romans. They were collaborating with the Romans who were occupying their nation, and the Romans came along, they drafted some Jews, they said, you can be tax collectors. They said, okay, we'll do it. But everyone hated them because they hated the people that were occupying their nation. And not only did they collect taxes for the enemy, but they charged extra so they could earn a living. And Rome gave them, gave them the, the opportunity to actually charge extra fees so they could pad their wallet in the process. And so the tax collectors in that generation were just hated. In fact, all the other Jews called the tax collectors, doing their job, called the tax collectors sinners. Next time the IRS calls you, what do you want, sinner? See how that rolls for you and let me know. Okay? So that's what it was like in that generation. Now here's Zacchaeus. He's the chief sinner. He's the chief tax collector, and everyone really hates him. So no one's, no one's fond of Zacchaeus. No one's saying, hey, Zacchaeus, come over for dinner or any of those kind of things with that guy. In fact, Zacchaeus was kind of making his money. He was wealthy, the Bible says. He was making his money off sort of a pyramid scheme from the other tax collectors. They got their taxes. They paid off the Romans, and they paid off Zacchaeus, who was kind of keeping peace with the Romans and kind of making peace with the chief priests and all that. So he's this guy making all kinds of money off everybody else's tax collecting. Everybody hated him. Interesting in the story, the story is riddled with ridicule. All kinds of ridicule in the story. So number one, they call Zacchaeus short, which I just find offensive. I mean, there's no crime in being short. There's nothing immoral about being short or, you know, right? But they, they ridicule Zacchaeus because the word they used to describe him was micro. Oh, Nice, micro Zach. Yeah, and so they're just, they ridicule him right off the bat. He's a tree climber. In that generation, it was not cool for a man, for a grown, well, mostly grown man, to be a tree climber, to climb trees. It was like undignified, you can't climb trees. Just like in our culture, you'd see children climbing trees, but it would be weird. In fact, it would be downright creepy if you saw a man up in a tree watching. Right? What did he do? He climbed the tree so he could watch for Jesus to come. That's just creepy. You don't know what that guy's doing in the tree. That's Zacchaeus. And they ridicule him. Same with the story of the prodigal son where the father sees his son a long ways off and he runs out to meet him. That was ridiculed in that culture because men didn't run in that culture. Men didn't climb trees in that culture. This was just an odd thing for Zacchaeus to do. 
Now, when he was climbing, he, would, he wanted to be anonymous. He didn't want to be known. He didn't want to be seen. He, was gonna, you know, he picked a tree with large leaves so he could be hidden up there. Um, he was not a social climber. Who, they climbed to be seen. He was more of an antisocial climber. He was climbing to see, but not to be seen. That was his goal, to be hidden and to be able to look at Jesus and see Jesus when Jesus came by. And so here he comes. Jesus is coming up the road. Jack, Zacchaeus picked the right route. He's in a tree on the route where Jesus is coming. Jesus is surrounded by people. And then he gets right to the spot where Zacchaeus is, right underneath his tree. And Jesus stops, almost like he's in a theater. In fact, almost like you're in a church. Sometimes the guys in the tech booth, they put tape on the floor. to go, Brad, stand right here when you pray. You know, or stand right here when you're going to give those announcements. Or, you know, whatever. It's like, it's almost like he picked a spot that someone else, like the director of the story, said right there. And Jesus comes to the spot and he looks up and there's Zacchaeus. And Jesus looks right into his face and calls him out of the tree. And frankly, the only way, the only way for Jesus to preserve any amount of dignity for Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector... Was, he, was if he were to give him life-giving grace. In a story of ridicule, in the story of an outsider, in a story of a hated one, the only, who climbed a tree to see you, the only way to preserve his dignity was to give him life-giving grace. And that's what happens in the story. Jesus stops, he looks up, he looks, he looks right into Zacchaeus' face, which was probably flushed red. He looks right into Zacchaeus' eyes, and he says, Zacchaeus, and how did he know his name? I don't know. Did he see him run up? The, did he, how did he know he was in that tree? I don't know. He says, Zacchaeus, you come down because I need to go to your house today. Now you have the chief rule maker going to the chief rule breaker's house before he even repented. You know what that's called? Life-giving grace. Some of you know what grace is. Again, if, you're a, if you've been following Jesus for long, you probably know definitions of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor to us. It's his undeserved blessing that he gives to us. One scholar says it's unexpected kindness. Grace. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus says, I need to come to your house today. And he pours out on him his unexpected kindness, his life-giving grace. It's beautiful. It changes everything for this man. Everything. Except that not everybody likes to celebrate life-giving grace. That's what it says in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. Mutter, which is a Greek word which means... Well, that's pretty much what it means. He goes, they, they were like, oh, he's gone home. He's gone to be home. He's gone to the home of a sinner, which is what rule keepers call rule breakers. You know, Jesus never called someone a sinner in the Bible. He uses the word sometimes when he's quoting others, but Jesus never called someone a sinner. Sinner was the word that rule keepers used to talk about rule breakers. And all the people who watched were not celebrating this life-giving grace that Jesus was pouring out on this man. Instead, they muttered, they grumbled. 
about what was going on. They said, look at this, Zacchaeus is rewarded. He's doing all this stuff. He's in, he's in cahoots with the Romans. He's against us. He steals our money and Jesus goes with him. For some of us, sometimes it's hard to embrace grace when it lands on others whom we think don't deserve it. And we are really good at discerning that, aren't we? Or we are really good at judging that when someone else doesn't deserve it. The rule keepers muttered. They grumbled. They said, that's not right. Jesus, you should come with one of us. You should come to one of the rule keepers' house. That's what you're supposed to do. This is just not right. And they muttered against Jesus and they muttered against Zacchaeus. And what you find out is you were always on the wrong side of Jesus when you complain because others received life-giving grace. When somebody receives God's grace and you complain about that or you say that's not right or that's not how it's supposed to be, you end up finding yourself on the wrong side of Jesus. But what's amazing is Jesus' actions brought tremendous life change for Zacchaeus. He was never the same after this day. Never the same. Life change came for him. Life came for him. Everything was new for him after this. Jesus' actions brought life change for Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus, they get to Zacchaeus' house. Maybe they've already had dinner. Maybe before the meal's even served, maybe Zacchaeus pipes up. We don't know. We don't know any of the conversation they had on the road. We don't know any conversation they had in the house when they first got there. But somehow Zacchaeus all of a sudden pipes up and he goes, all right, Lord, I'm going to give right now, right here, half of my wealth, half of everything I have to the poor. He was a rich man. There's a lot of stuff he's about to give away. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. That's amazing life change for this greedy tax collector, don't you think? I mean, do you guys want to sign up for that deal? Oh, Jesus, right now, right, right here, right now in front of everybody, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. Who wants to, who wants to go first? Right down this aisle. That's hard. Life change came to Zacchaeus on the day that Jesus said, I must go to your house today. I must be at your house today. And of course, all the rule keepers, they were grumbling again. They were muttering. It's like, oh yeah, sure. A little change of heart, you think, Zacchaeus? I think it's too little too late. And so they're still grumbling about Zacchaeus and what's going on in his life. So Zacchaeus goes farther and he says, and furthermore, Lord, if I've cheated anybody... Of course, everybody knew that he cheated just about everybody. He said, if I've cheated anybody, I will give four times the amount that I've taken, that I've wrongly taken. You know what that means? Zacchaeus kept a list. Zacchaeus kept a record. Zacchaeus kept the rules of the accountant. And now what you find out is the chief rule breaker was himself a rule keeper. It's just that he kept different rules. Isn't that what you find out when you start judging someone else? Don't you find out that they just, the reason you're judging them is because they don't keep your rules. They don't keep the rules you keep. They don't speed like you do. Zacchaeus kept the rules. He just kept a different set of rules than they kept. 
he broke different rules than they broke. And what the rule keepers find out and what the rule breakers find out is in the end we all break the rules. We all desperately need God's grace. And the miracle of Jesus is that he pours it out on us over and over and over. And it becomes life-giving to our soul. It's God's grace that gives you life. It's God's grace that makes you alive by faith. It's God's grace that breathes life into your soul. Whether you find that you're more on the rule keeper side or the rule breaker side, it's God's grace that gives you life. Of course, the rule keepers are all disgruntled still at this, and they're like, Jesus, you're not going to fall for this, are you? We've seen you fall for this kind of stuff before. You kind of like these guys like Zacchaeus. You're not going to fall for this one. Oh, I'm going to give, you know, back four times, whatever I say. You're not going to fall for that, Jesus, are you? To which Jesus says, yes. Jesus celebrates it. They had a party that day. Jesus celebrates life-giving grace. Put that in your mind. Put that in your heart. Put that in your life. Jesus celebrates life-giving grace when he gives it to you and when you give it to others. He celebrates that. Why? Why does he celebrate that? It's because Jesus knows this, that transformation happens when we celebrate life-giving grace. Transformation happens when we celebrate life-giving grace. Transformation happens in the rule breakers when we celebrate with them life-giving grace. Transformation happens in the rule keepers when we celebrate them receiving life-giving grace. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks now about uh, life's playbook and the Lakeside Church playbook. We've been posting it up here on the walls for you so you can see it and keep track of it. You can, it's on the Lakeside Church app so you can check it out there or you can, I think we have cards of it out in the lobby if you haven't got one of those yet. So we're just talking through the, the Lakeside Church and life's playbook. And last week, Pastor Sean talked to us about that Talk to us about the idea that there's questions that come through the playbook. There's questions about how do we live our life? That's one of the questions. How do we live? As a church, how do we live? As Christ followers, how do we live? How do we know how to live? It's like, well, read the Bible. It's all in there. Yeah, but it's long. How do we live? Sean taught us from Scripture, we live by giving ourselves to others. All around Lakeside, you see this when Lakesiders are here at church or out in the community, all around, you look at people that are following Christ among us, and it's like they, they give themselves. We give ourselves to others. And now Jesus comes along and he answers the question again a different way. It's like, how do we live? Oh, we celebrate life-giving grace. We started talking about this several months ago among our leadership team here, and we, we just said, you know, what are the things that characterize Lakeside Church? 
and they might characterize all kinds of churches. We just looked among us and we said from a biblical perspective, when we look at our people, what characterizes us? We say, oh, one of the things that characterizes us as a church, we give ourselves to others. One of the things that characterizes, characterizes us is we love those things. We celebrate, we celebrate those things that are life-giving. All those things come from God's grace. Life-giving grace. It's risky. Life-giving grace is risky, and celebrating life-giving grace is risky because there's always the mutterers. You notice that in the Bible? That mutterers have been around the whole way? I mean, when the people of Israel just crossed the Red Sea, they're muttering. They're grumbling. It's like, you guys just saw God part the waters of the Red Sea. Yeah, no, I didn't like it very much. God's got us out here in the desert. All we get is manna. That's bread from heaven. Tastes like honey. Yeah, whatever. Grumblers have been around a long time. And if you decide to celebrate, if you live your life by celebrating life-giving grace, you will find that there are mutterers around you. There are grumblers around you who won't like it. It's risky to live your life celebrating life-giving grace. But life-giving grace is joyful, cheerful, playful, celebratory, fun-loving. I mean, you think Jesus went into Zacchaeus' house and moped around that day? Remember Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. You think he got to the house and he went, I'm only here because my father said I had to. No, he went in the house and they had a party and Zacchaeus' life has changed. He's like, I'm going to give back, you know, four times what I stole. I'm going to give half what I had to the poor. And Jesus is like, this is awesome. They had a party. They probably danced a little. I won't show you, but, you know, they probably did. They celebrated that. It's a joyful, happy, cheerful gift that God gives to us. And the mutterers miss the party and miss the point. Please don't allow yourself to get in a spot where you miss the party and you miss the point. You can be such a rule keeper. You can be such a judger that other people do stuff and you go, that's not how it's supposed to be. No clapping in church. No humor in church. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be holy. Really? Who said holy's not fun? Who said holy's not funny? Who said holy is not a celebration? Who said holy has to be quiet? I think if Jesus is at the party, it's a party. And the mutterers miss the party and they miss the point. Life-giving grace is faith-filled. It's optimistic. It looks to the future says, God, what do you want to do in me next? What do you want to do in us next? What do you want to do in our small group next? What do you want to do in our ministry team next? How do you want to use me next? And we're looking down the road because we are faith-filled, optimistic, believing that God has something better for this world and he's going to bring it through Christ and through us. Life-giving grace looks like faith. Life-giving grace is a heartbroken father welcoming home a prodigal son. 
Life-giving grace is that same father inviting his rule-keeping son to come into the party. Life-giving grace is a man nicknamed the Big Kahuna teaching children to love Jesus for 20 years in Kids Fest. Life-giving grace is a woman named Amy making phone calls to lakesiders who've been missing in action recently just to see if they're okay. Life-giving grace is an introvert who joins the greeter team, the Connect One team, to make sure that newcomers feel welcome, even though she doesn't feel welcome welcoming them. She doesn't feel comfortable welcoming them because of her personality. Life-giving grace is a volunteer who gives five to ten hours a week to organize and serve food at the Twin Lakes Food Bank. Life-giving grace is a woman named Ramey who gives hundreds of hours to lead a summer ministry called Blitz that touches 1,500 children with the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ. Life-giving grace is a teenage volunteer who serves every week in a ministry for children with special needs who may never be able to say thank you or say I like you. Life-giving grace is a rule keeper who welcomes a rule breaker home. It's life-giving grace. How do we live here? We celebrate life-giving grace. If you're new with us, you're like, what's this church about? What's church, what's church about at all? Here's what this church is about. We celebrate life-giving grace because every one of us needs it. The rule keepers need it. The rule breakers need it. The ones who fudge on the rules they're keeping need it. The hypocrites need it. We all need it. And so when we receive it from Christ, we celebrate it. When we see it around us, we celebrate that because it matters, because it changes things, because transformation happens when we celebrate life-giving grace, whether it came to us or whether it came to others. And so when you're looking at your life and you go, now, how do I live this life out again? How do I do this following Jesus thing? Followers of Jesus, we give ourselves to others. Followers of Jesus, we celebrate life-giving grace. It's what we do. Because it's what Jesus did for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for that. God, of everybody in the room, there's no one who needs your grace more than me. But maybe everybody in the room could make the same statement. There's nobody who needs your grace more than us. There's nobody who needs life more than us. And so, Lord, we, we accept it, this gift from your hand. We accept it. We embrace it. We celebrate it together. And, Lord, there may be some among us who are who are new among us and new to your story. Maybe they never heard your story with Zacchaeus before and they've never understood this grace business. And they would love to get in on it. They'd love to find out why it's called amazing. And so, Lord, I pray for them that if they just will let you know tonight that they want to say yes to you, that they want to receive that gift then, Lord, I pray that you would be faithful to your word as you always are and you would give it to them. 
And this might be the day for some among us to start this life of grace with you. And if that's true, we all get to celebrate. And Lord, the transformation that happened in Zacchaeus, would you make sure that that happens in us and through us into the lives of others? What would happen, Lord, if if you empowered all of us to celebrate your life-giving grace? How amazing would this town be? How amazing would this region be if you were to do that through us? Lord, we seek this from you together and we celebrate it because we know the answer is yes. So thank you. Amen.